Good morning, good evening, and good night, because I have no idea where in the world you're located. This is Tawanda with another chance to bridge the gap, and we're coming back to you again today with another hot topic. We're having a great week um, talking to Fred Mosley, former judge, and he has a lot of exciting information to share. And as we were on here yesterday, we were talking about the laws of life. And this is just one of many things that we want to be able to do with Another Chance to Bridge the Gap. We are another chance to take advantage of a missed opportunity to become one to be able to help. And we know that this is our opportunity for unity. Yesterday, we talked to Fred Mosley. Pastor Mosley, also former judge, and he has an incredible story. And if you have not heard of him before, if you're not familiar with his story, we're going to tell you all about how to find him, his website, his information, his companies, and so on and so forth. And before I turn the call up to my partner today, I want Judge Mosley to tell us a little bit about Justice Ministries and the Laws of Life and the websites to those so you can go and view that information and check it out and so on and so forth so you'll know actually who he is, what he does, and what God has put on his heart. Judge Mosley, are you there? Yes, I am. Awesome, awesome, awesome. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm doing well. This is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. Amen to that. And before I turn it over to Alyssa, Tell us a little bit about Justice Ministries and the website, as well as Laws of Life and the website, so everyone will know how to be able to find you. And then the next voice you're here at will be my co-host today, Lissa, and she'll go in and get things started. Thank you. Well, our website is Justice Ministries, I-N-T-L, abbreviation for international. So that's Justice Ministries, I-N-T-L, dot com. And the website for Laws of Life Court TV is www.lawsoflifecourt.com. Again, that's lawsoflifecourt.com. Our phone number for the ministry is 866-950-5858, 866-950-5858. Thank you for that, um, Mr. Mosley. Um, Yesterday, we talked a little bit about the laws of love and um, the laws of notice and warning. And today, I had 10 that I wanted to touch on. And, you know, yesterday, we went at 95 miles per hour, and we, you know, we sped it up to 100. Hopefully, today, we can go at 120 and knock out these 10 Laws that I want to touch on and then ask a few questions. Okay. So the first one I wanted um, you to talk about is the law of truth. Okay. And we know that the God that we serve is a God of truth. There's only one source from which we receive absolute truth, and that is from God the Father. And it is an absolute. It's a law of life. Now, unfortunately, this includes believers as well as unbelievers. We accept a lot of rhetoric, a lot of things that have been pronounced as being truth that come to us from mankind, and we accept it as being an absolute. For instance, oftentimes we hear believers make a statement that they 
they're ill or they're sick or they have a disease. But we know that the word says we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. So what which of those two is the truth? Is the truth that I'm sick, I'm old, I'm decrepit, I'm having I'm subject to a certain disease, or is the truth of the matter as it relates to our spiritual being is that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm going to share another relatively challenging one, and I'm sure most of us have experienced this at some time or another. Oftentimes we get word that somebody has died, somebody has passed away from the hospital, from a doctor, or whomever it is, that that person uh, no, no, no longer ceases to live. Well, we have to ask the question, is that a truth or is it a statement being made by a certain profession? I do perceive that the body of Christ has to get to a point that it looks past what man is saying with respect to a certain situation. If you recall the account of Lazarus in the New Testament, the, the fact was that Lazarus was dead. But the truth was that we are not controlled by death. And the truth is that Jesus was able to raise Lazarus from the dead. So my question then, uh, if, if we get a notice of some kind, a uh, word that a, a close family member has passed away, suppose as a teenager, 18, 19-year-old person, which we know has not reached uh, the age that you would think that person would pass away, and someone calls you or sends you a note or the word goes around through the family that that person has passed away. And so often as believers, we accept that as being truth. And the truth of the matter may be the account that we find in in the New Testament, again, concerning uh, Jesus and Lazarus, because Jesus spoke to the spirit of Lazarus and called his spirit back into his body. And that was the truth of that particular matter, that we have that authority in the name of Jesus and the fact that we should not be so quick to accept what mankind says about what our situation or what our condition is. And we should look at the truth of the scriptures as well as oftentimes we get a prophetic word about a situation. And that prophetic word may be the truth of that situation as opposed to what appears to be the facts that are put before us. I hope that that has helped to some limited extent to clarify your question because it's not an easy item to, to share and to make sense of as it relates to the spiritual aspect of it. So hopefully that gave some additional revelation on it. Yes, it it did. Um, What about the law of suffering? Well, the scripture says that those who live godly for by Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And many believers, especially in young or new believers, they're given impression when they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior that life is going to be, as in the worldly parlance, hunky-dory, that everything is going to be great. I'm not going to have any, any problems anymore. I'm going to have a good job. I'm going to have 
all the nice material things of life. I'm not going to have any heartaches, but everything is just going to flow smoothly. Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, that's an absolute, shall suffer persecution. So we don't want to expect persecution as believers. We want to expect a nice, easy, soft road in life. But it's the persecution that makes us strong. And one thing I think we need to be careful of as believers is that if we don't receive some persecution, then the question is whether or not we have signed up into the world system to the extent that we're not recognized as believers. Because so many believers operate just as the world does, just as the world system dictates us to operate. And we go to church maybe on Sundays or possibly twice a week, and we pay tithes or give offerings, and we just consider ourselves as being Christians based upon certain religious activities. And we don't want to have anything that resembles persecution being Christians. And if we're not receiving some persecution as a result of our faith and pronouncing our faith, then, of course, listen, the question is whether or not we are true believers. And people will dislike you merely because you are a believer. You don't have to say anything negative to them. You don't have to have crossed them in any any way whatsoever. And once they hear that you are a believer, you profess to be a believer, sometimes people will just dislike you merely because of that fact. And that's part of the persecution that comes along with being a true believer. So it's something we should accept we should expect. No, we, we shouldn't accept it. We should resist it because we know that it's from the enemy's camp. But the point of it is, is that we will, we shall be persecuted if we hold ourselves out as true believers. You know, I'm I'm glad I asked that because, you know, I, when I first started getting involved into Christ deeper, I would go through these things and I wouldn't understand it because I'm like, I'm giving you my life, um, you know, I, I I'm lifting my hands to you, I'm doing what you asked me to do. And it's just like, it was 10 times worse. Like I was going through more when I wasn't trying to be close to God. And then when I got with God, I, you know, I tried to understand it. Then I got some understanding. And then, like you said, those are the, there are those people that they hate you just because you are a believer. Like I have a brother on my dad's side. He calls himself atheist. And like, he doesn't want to talk to me because, you know, I believe in God, and then he doesn't talk to his other sister because, you know, she's a, um evangelist, and so he really don't like us, but I use, you know, that to try to get him to be closer to God. I mean, I'm not going to walk away from him because he's a non-believer, but I do want the non-believers to become believers, you know? Right, and in that instance also, listen, you want to employ one of those laws of life that we talked about on yesterday, the law of love. As he resists you and as he seems to have all the ill will against you, it's the perfect opportunity for, for you to show the love of Christ towards him. And that is what would be necessary to, if I can use this phraseology, to, to bring him over, if you will, to draw him over to the things of the Spirit of God and cause him to see that 
only through true love, the kind of love that comes through Jesus Christ, can you be a believer and a follower of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that, and another thing, we have to be careful how we handle this and make this statement to people because they may perceive it to be fairly cruel and hard-hearted. But there are only two two camps that can belong to one or the other. There's no middle ground. And either you're under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or you're under the law of sin and death. And for any person who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are under a law. And that law is the law of sin and death. And unfortunately, your relative at this juncture, and by faith he's going to cross over under the law and bring himself under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That relative is under the law of sin and death. And we as believers don't want any close relative, a friend of ours, or anyone we have a relationship with, or anyone we don't know. We don't want to spend, see anyone spend an eternity outside of being part of the body of Christ. That is so true. And we're supposed to have a burden for for individuals such as that. And, you know, one test I think we as believers need to cause ourselves to undergo, oftentimes the longer you become a believer, the less sensitive you come to be unless you are called to the office of an evangelist, the less sensitive you find yourself to non-believers. But it should be just the opposite. And we should take, have an evaluation of ourselves from time to time. Do I still have a do I still have a concern? Do I still have uh, a need to somehow minister to or witness to non-believers? Because I know at this point that law that they're under, they're under law of sin and death, and they're going to spend eternity outside of the presence of our Lord. And there should be a burning in our spirit, and especially when we get to a point that we're no longer sensitive to that aspect of our Christian walk. And so many believers, I'm sure that applies to each of us from time to time, we may find ourselves with an attitude where they don't want to believe in in the Savior that we believe in. They don't want to believe in Jesus Christ, so be it. But we should put ourselves in that position that but for the grace of God, there go I, and fortunately, somebody along the way ministered to me in a way that I did, I was able to be brought from under that law of sin and death and brought to and under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And therefore, not only will I have eternal life starting on this side throughout whatever my life is on this planet, but into and throughout eternity. And that is something to be excited about and something we should want everyone that that's a close part of us that we come across to also have that, that have that advantage. Yes, sir. I do agree with that. Let's get into the law of work. Well, the scripture, if I recall, it says if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. And that is true. We were, we're, we're admonished. In the, in the book of Genesis, to work. Now, I think the misconception that so many, of course, also including believers, how many of us have heard it said, I work hard, 
and everybody should work hard. Hard work will get you where you want to go and need to go. Now, I don't find hard work in the scripture for believers. I find work because we're supposed to work. We're supposed to be diligent. We're supposed to be productive as believers. But we, in this New Testament dispensation, we're not supposed to have to work hard. We should be working smart and not hard. And But for any believer... And the word talks about being slowful and being sluggards. A a true believer should not be a sluggard. A true believer should not be slowful. A true believer should be timely. A true believer should be dependable. A true believer's word should stand for something. Because that's all part of the walk that we are supposed to be walking. Now, let me temper that with this statement. We don't do it out by and through our own strength, we do it based upon the grace that God has given us to operate on that level. But we work the law of work, we are as believers to be busy and again to be productive and also to be of assistance to humankind and especially the body of Christ. And a self examination list would be if I don't, if I'm a believer who doesn't want to get out of bed, I'm a believer that my house can look any kind of way, and my, my automobile looks like a dump truck, and I'm not concerned about my personal appearance and how I project uh, to other people, especially non-believers who all who will be looking at me to scrutinize because I say that I'm a Christian. I go on the job, and the first thing that I'm looking for, first of all, I may come in late, and once getting there. Then I'm, I, I take a 30-minute coffee break, and I'm standing around the water cooler half the day. I'm looking for every opportunity I can find not to work. That is totally violative of Scripture, and it sets a bad example for other believers and, it's, and certainly for the world and for people who do not profess Jesus Christ. So the Word of God says, and it's a law, that we ought to work, and if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. So we certainly want to eat, but we don't work just to eat. We work to be productive and be a blessing to others. Yes, I totally agree with that. Now, this next one that I want to talk about, um, something that I've been dealing with personally, and, you know, we all say, we all know that the Lord says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let's get into the law of brokenness. Yes. Well, that's one that many believers do not do not prefer to accept as a law of life because most of us do not want to go the experience through the experience of being broken. Now, out in Wichita Falls, I would assume we have some horse ranches out that way. And and you may not have any experience in riding a horse, but I'm sure you've seen some out around uh, west of Fort Worth and out in that area, 100 miles or so west uh, of the Fort Worth area. And oftentimes when, when, I, when I'm led to have a discussion concerning the law of brokenness, I get, I get a picture in my mind of a wild horse, and, you know, a wild horse is no good until that horse is broken. 
We, even as new believers, and even as we mature in our faith, we are like wild horses. What I mean, what I mean by that is that we want to do our thing, want to do things our way. We want our, we we want those things that we feel that are best for us, not what God has in store for us as best, but what we perceive as best. And and we're wild horses. And the only way that God can get the most out of us. That includes me, you, Tawanda, and whomever else. It is for us to be truly broken. And the, the, the scriptures talk about a broken and a contrite spirit. Now, I'm going to go just a little bit into my testimony again from yesterday. I have been a federal prosecutor. Well, first of all, let me go back. I have two earned law degrees. I've been a federal prosecutor, a state prosecutor, defense attorney, and a judge. And have been in church pretty much all of my all of my life, my teenage years, adult years, and active and in various activities in the church. Have become uh, president of the junior church, and and was actually was studying for the ministry while I was on the bench. But let's say I had not been broken. And much of which I probably was operating in pride, not recognizing as being pride, but nevertheless operating in pride because I had not been truly broken. I had not had any events in life that really challenged me in a way that I had. I came to have a contrite spirit, a spirit of humility. And, you know, for you and for me and for whomever else may be listening, God knows exactly what it's going to take to break you. And he doesn't break you to hurt you. He breaks you to build you because he knows he cannot get the most out of you for what he's called you to do in the kingdom until you are truly broken. Now, for me, the worst thing I could think of that could happen to me to break me would be for me to go to jail. Listen, I had been on that other side all of my adult life, on that what they consider to be the right side of the trial table, prosecutor, federal and state, defense attorney, and then on the bench as a judge. God knew how I was clinging to all of that, how important that was to me and to my life and the prestige, if you will, that came along with all of that. And that's the very thing God allowed to happen. He didn't cause it. I caused it based upon my wrongdoing. But he had, God lifted his hand of protection, allowed it to happen. And as a result, I truly then had that broken and contrite spirit when I was willing now to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And a spirit of repentance, a spirit of humility, all of it comes about as a result of having been broken. And now I look at people a different way because maybe beforehand I would look at someone who I perceive had the same opportunity that I had had and did not take advantage of it. But now I look at it from the point, from the perspective, but for the grace of God, 
there go I. I could have been on that same trail that that person was on. But because of the brokenness, God allowed me to be turned around and submitted to his purpose, his assignment for my life. If King David had to be broken and had to acknowledge that he had to have a broken and contrite spirit, certainly you and I, to one and whomever else, who may be privy to what we're sharing, likewise that person is going to have to be broken. And again, each person, your brokenness is tailor-made for you. And listen, there have been some people that are so hard, so hard-hearted. I said, Lord, what is it going to take for that person? I've seen that person go through trials and tribulations and challenges that Mother passing away, that didn't break them. A child passing away, that didn't break them. They went through a serious illness, that didn't break them. And so what in the world would it take for that person to have that broken and contrite spirit? God knows. And so often, and I'll stop when I make the statement, so often we have a loved one that we've been praying for and praying about. But we don't want to see them go through that brokenness. And we're praying against the brokenness to come into their lives. And that's a mistake on our part because they need to go through the brokenness. Because that's the only way God is going to be able to use them in a way that he would have them to be used is for them to be broken. So oftentimes we need to, get, we need to pray for that person, but then we need to get out of the way and allow the Lord to allow whatever he chooses to come about in that person's life to bring about the brokenness that's necessary to bring that person to the point they need to be brought to. You know, that is so true. <laughs> drying, drying my face right now. But um, I was one of those people. Um, it took a lot for me to be broken. Um, the yes. diseases, you know, like the, the surgeries, you know, that, that didn't break me. Um, the heartbreaks didn't break me. Um, losing my best friend to suicide, I thought that was going to be, you know, my brokenness. But I think when I really broke, I, I used to fight a lot in my attitude. I had a real bad attitude. And mm-hmm. I pulled up to fight one day, and I had my kids in the car. And since I pulled up and I hit the person first and my kids were with me, CPS was yeah. called, and that was like a neglect case. So that there, it it broke me in ways I couldn't even. I always told myself if that happened to me, I would probably kill myself because I wouldn't be able to tolerate the pain. But mm-hmm. that broke me. Yes, yes, it broke me. But um, getting to the next law, let's get into the laws of escape. The law of escape. Okay. The foundation of scripture for the law of escape is found in First Corinthians, and I, I'd like to read that entire scripture if I can, if I can come across it. I have it right here. First Corinthians ten thirteen. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, listen, before the foundation of the world, 
the Spirit of God knew exactly the foolishness that you and I and to one and whomever else would get involved in. What kind of traps that we would fall into, fall prey into. God knew it before the foundation of the world. He knew that I was going to violate man's laws, and as a result of that, I was going to end up in prison. But also, God, before all of that took place, he already had a way of escape. So the law of escape basically says to us, it does, whatever we may have done that's contrary to the word of God, regardless of how deep we had gotten into it, regardless of how long we had been in it, God, before the foundation of the world, had already set aside and made a way of escape for us to get out of it. Now, the Spirit of God has shown me an example in the lower animal kingdom. Have you seen a bird trapped in a building? And there was just a few windows in the building. It could be a bird, it could be a fly, it could be another insect, whatever. But that insect or that bird would always go to that window and try as best it could to get out because that bird or whatever it was recognized that there was a way out. There was a way of escape. And we as believers should come to understand that law of life because it's so important. That God, whatever I'm in, whatever I'm involved in, if it's a, a relationship that is not of you, you got a way for me to get out of it. And your way is going to be the best way for me to get out of it. If I'm in trouble, God, you knew before the foundation of the world I was going to be in this mess. And you already had a way. And all I need for you to do is show me the way and give me the grace in order to pursue the way that you have already ordained for me to get out of. And this is one of the laws that I oftentimes look forward to sharing in penal institutions because so often men and women who've been been sentenced to fairly long sentences and they they tried everything that they know to try by way of trying to work their way out through man system by way of appeals and other legal filings that you can make. But God really, and I try to impress upon them that God has a way of escape for you out of this situation. You just got to determine what that way is, and God will reveal that. Now, it may take a long time. That doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. But when you look through scriptures, you see, let, let, let's look at King David. We know the mess that he got into by way of uh, stealing Uriah's wife, setting Uriah up to be killed, and baby dying and all of that. But David's way of escape was a was it that brokenness that came, a contrite spirit that came about as a result of it. And he lost the kingship, but God restored him to to the kingship. Now let's look at another example of way of escape. Adam and let's go back to the garden. Adam and Eve when Satan approached, uh, the, the serpent approached Eve in the garden and tried to impress it, well, not try to, but impress upon Eve that she could eat of that forbidden fruit and that they wouldn't surely die. What was their way of escape in the garden? 
It's very simple way of escape. The way of escape was to just say no. And so many instances for us, that first level of escape, and I take that back to my situation, the first level of escape that was available to me when that proposition came to me was to just say no. That's always an opportunity, uh, the best way of escape. Let's go back to King David for a minute. When King David should have been out to war and looked out and saw uh, Uriah's wife bathing in a pond, a pool, whatever it was, what was his way of escape? It was a very simple way of escape. All he had to do was turn his head and look the other way. And I say that to people who are addicted to pornography. As soon as something like that pops up, your way of escape is to turn and look the other way, close, turn the TV off, change the channel, turn the page, whatever it may take. So we can go all the way through Scripture. I can give you four or five other examples of the way of escape that God gave those who belong to him. Job, Job said that, I have I have a covenant with my eyes not to even look upon another woman. That was his way of escape, to look the other way. So the way of escape, we have, first of all, we have to have faith. And that, we know that comes under another law of life. But we have to have faith that, Father, whatever I've gotten involved in that is not of you, you have a way out for me. If it's my children, you have a way out for them. And if they can recognize that way of escape, well, you can reveal it to me and I can share with them the way of escape for them to get out of it. But oftentimes in the process of getting out, you go through some challenges, some heartaches, some hurts, but nevertheless there's always a way out. Just as that insect uh, flies around looking for that door to open or window to open, that bird or that fly or whatever it is instinctively knows there's a way out of here. We need to have the same attitude as believers. That whatever it is, God has already made a way of escape. All I need to do is assign that way and follow the path that God has given me to work my way out of this. Hmm. And I, I heard you say, um, Tawana, do you have any words? I'm sorry. Oh no no I'm just I, I'm I'm just in listen mode honey go ahead okay um and I heard you say um that's why you have to have faith and that's on my list so can we get into the laws of faith well yes we can yes we can because that's certainly uh, all of these laws important but that's one is most important because everything that we do as believers we know the word says the just and it's four times in Scripture that the just shall, not may, but the just shall live by faith. Now, one thing we do have to understand about the law of faith, let's say, is that and Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, if we are to draw from the power of God, the only way we can do it is by faith. So that power that we need to employ is a, is a faith power. And 
The reason it's impossible, well, let, let me retract just a minute because I got off my train of thought. Most believers think they can move God by murmuring, by complaining, by, by crying, and it's repeatedly asking God over and over and over and over again to make something happen. Listen, we can go through all of that, and none of that moves the Spirit of God. That may sound harsh, but it's not harsh because God has given a specific way that we are to draw from his power. And that specific way is by faith, and that's the only way that we can draw from the power of God is by and through faith in him and what he has promised. Now, one of the best examples I can think of, biblical examples, is the the woman with the issue of blood. Remember how she had to press her way through the crowd trying to get to Jesus. And mm-hmm. she finally got to him, and she touched the hem of his garment. Of his garment. And virtue, now this is the key right here. Jesus didn't know that he had been touched. He didn't know who had touched him. I'm sorry. He didn't know who had touched him. All he knew was that somebody touched him in faith. Now, what's the next step here? Is that did Jesus have to have to release the power or say to the power that was necessary to heal this woman to be released to her and for her? No, he didn't. What happened? The power was automatically released because faith caused the power of God for her healing to automatically be released and she was made whole. And that's how our faith is supposed to operate. Once we know what God has said about a certain situation, and once we apply our faith to that circumstance, we are to expect the power of God to pull towards us that which we are believing for. Now, when I was growing up, we we played a lot with magnets. Have you had any experience with a magnet in every courses in school? Yes. Yeah. Are you familiar with magnets? Yeah. Have you seen how a magnet can pull an object to it? Mm-hmm. That's where our faith does. Our faith, whatever we're believing for, when we apply our faith to it, if it's the salvation of another individual that we know God has brought in our lives and we, we're we clear that this is a person God has assigned us to or to us for us to pray them into the kingdom, once we have applied our faith to that person, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It may take a few days. It may take a few weeks, months, or maybe even years. But the power of faith is pulling that person towards us and pulling that person towards the faith in Jesus Christ. If we're believing for a profession or an occupation or for a material item, you're believing for a home, a automobile, and I'm not talking about lustful believing. I'm talking about something you know God has said to you. Give you an example of a house, a couple of houses. There was one house, in fact, the house I'm talking to you from now. When I drove into the driveway, into this house to meet with the present owner of the house. The Spirit of God spoke to my spirit while I'm in the driveway and said, that's your house. And 
It was just as clear as someone sitting across the desk from me saying, that's yours. I go in the house, I talk with this person. Now, keeping in mind, this is right after I have been released from prison. This is a nice home in a nice neighborhood, and I didn't have money for it. But God had spoken to me that this is your house. So knowing that God has spoken to me in that regard, I started to apply my faith to what I know God had said concerning it. And as time went along, it didn't take a long time, but it took some time, maybe six months, a year, whatever the case may have been. But the faith that I applied to what God had said, it finally brought into the material realm what God had said because I put my faith to it and would not release my faith from it until it happened. And that's the attitude we have to have under the law of faith. You have to have an attitude. It doesn't matter how long it takes. If God said this is mine, if God said this is for me, if God said this is something that has been assigned for a purpose that he has called me, I'm going to apply my faith to it. And, I'm not, and I know my, that faith, that invisible force, is going to keep pulling this thing towards me until it becomes a physical manifestation that I will have access to. Now, what happens to so many believers we're expecting things quick, fast, and in a hurry. And some faith action takes takes a while. Some of it takes a long time. Uh, uh, we've been working on Laws of Life Court TV now off and on for over 20 years. And it was just in the last year and a half to two years that we saw some manifestations in the natural realm by way of that program being on national television on several different networks. But the faith had been applied some time ago, but had not been released, and we had not released our faith for it because we knew faith was constantly at work. So again, unfortunately, believers expect a microwave result from faith and from prayer, and it doesn't come in microwaves. It comes by way of a process. But another aspect of that law of faith is that there's a law of confirmation that comes under the law of faith. And what I mean by the law of confirmation, whatever we're believing for, well, let's give a different example. What are, what are the ages of your children, I may ask? Leslie? Say that again? What is the age of your children, just roughly? Um, eight and um, ten. Okay. Now, when you promise them something, for a birthday or for a Christmas holiday or whatever it is. And that occasion is a little distance off by way of time. In order to keep that child encouraged, what do you do? You remind that person, well, Mama says she's going to get this for you. You can look at it. Or sometimes you may even show the child a picture of what you promised the child that you're going to do for them. It may be a pair of tennis shoes or something such as that, you promised it. And from time to time, just to keep that child's faith up for what you have told them you're going to do, you confirm it. Mama says she's going to do it, and you can depend on it, and uh, you can look for it to happen. God does us the same, something he does us out the same way in a very similar fashion. When God has revealed something to us that he has for us, from time to time, he will give a confirmation of it. 
He will bring something along to cause you to know that God made this promise to me, and this thing is happening. It hasn't happened in its fullness yet, but I know it's coming, and it's going to happen because I've applied my faith to it. I applied faith based upon what God said to me he was going to do, and it is an absolute. If I don't let go, it will happen. And that's the kind of dog faith that we have to have with respect to anything that God has promised. Now, you know what the strategy of the enemy is? The strategy of the enemy is to get you frustrated, get you to a point to say this thing's been taking a long time. I doubt if it's going to happen. So apparently it was not for me and to walk away from it. That's the enemy's strategy to get us to release our faith as it relates to something that God has promised. Yes, I, I agree with that. Um we got 15 minutes left, so let's try to kick it up to 150 right now. I only have a, okay. a few more laws to go over. Um, let's get into the law of prayer. Yes. Prayer works very closely with the law of faith. And there's a scripture that says, this is the confidence that we have in him. Anything we ask according to his will. He hears us, and if he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desire of him. Many believers pray what I refer to as scattergun prayers. We just throw a bunch of stuff out there and say, Lord, if any of this is in your will, then we know that you'll make it happen. The prayers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ were always answered. They were always answered because he was praying the perfect will of the Father in that particular situation. Most of us in prayer, what we do is that we start, we have something in mind that we want, but we don't know whether or not that's God's will for us. So the first thing we're to do is to make certain we know what God's will is for that particular situation. Now, some some of that is clearly spelled out for us in Scripture as what God's will is, but there are many things that we deal with that are not specifically made reference to in Scripture. So before we start to pray for it, we need to pray for God to give us revelation whether or not this is his will. Now, for instance, in, in relationships, we see um, – I'm too far along in age to even try to make this example – but let's say for a much younger person, and they're looking for a mate. Most people are looking for someone who fits their physical requirements, how tall they are, how how, how they look, and uh, how attractive or unattractive they are, whatever the case may, may be, as opposed to asking God, I want that person that you have assigned for me. And God revealed that person to me, and I'm not going to start just praying uh, scattergun prayers because I see something I think that I like. It has to be somebody you specifically revealed to me. This is the person that you have for me. And you will also likewise give that person a revelation as it relates to me. So you have to learn what the will of God is as it relates to that particular circumstance or situation and pray God's will and then apply your faith to it until you see it happen. But it has to be according to his will. And most believers, it's not according to his will. It's according to our will. So true. Um, let's get into the laws of waste and wants. Law of waste and wants. Lessa, if 
I don't care how much I may have and how long I may have had it. I may be a multimillionaire, which I'm not in the natural at this point, but before Jesus comes, God has been has revealed to me that I'll be a distribution center for, center for many other uh, believers and for many activities that are to take place in these last days. But even if I were a multi, let's let's a billionaire. You know, you got some many people now are multi-billionaires, and some maybe even folks from being trillionaires. If I waste and continue to waste on a regular basis, the law of waste and want is that I'll waste it all and i find myself in want. Going back to the prodigal son, what did he do? He wanted his inheritance from his father. He wasted it, found himself in the hog pen. Because he now found himself in want. Many believers, many Christians are operating in want now because we wasted what God has brought and given to us. And we have to handle it. We haven't been good stewards of what God has placed into our hands. As a country, we wasted oil, we wasted water, we wasted food. We throw away more food than many countries produce. If we keep on wasting in this country, with this country right now starting to find itself in want, if we keep on wasting in our homes, our households, our households will be in want. There's a corresponding, corresponding relationship between waste and want. And we don't want to waste because it will cause us to find ourselves in want. I like how you put that. And for today, let's get into the last law um, of agreement. The law of agreement? Okay. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The world puts it this way. Birds of a feather flock together. And one way we can determine where we are in our Christian walk is the kind, of, the, the kind of individual we hang out with and have close relationships with. Because I can try to convince myself that I don't have anything necessarily in common with that person. But the mere fact that this person is very close to me, we do a lot of things together, and I seem to approve of a lot that that person does, whether or not I do the same things or not, nevertheless, there's an implicit approval because I don't call to their attention that's not the right thing to do or the best how to kind of go along with what they want to do. I've set myself in at least implied agreement. There are two forms of agreement. There's expressed agreement and there's implied agreement. Expressed agreement is when I basically say to another person, I agree with what you're doing, I go along with it. Implied agreement basically is that I don't verbalize it, but nevertheless I go along with the motions of my activity suggest that I'm in agreement with it. In criminal law, it works this way. They call it an accessory before the fact, after the fact, during the fact, complicity, a conspiracy. In other words, let's say if I'm going to rob a store, I come by, I pick you up and say, let's say I want you to ride with me. We're going to the store, and I'm going to take care of some business. I haven't told you what I'm going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. But before we started to ride, you know that I didn't have any money. You didn't bring your purse, and you didn't have any either with you. I go in the store, and I'm in there four or five minutes. I come running out, and I speed off in the car, and uh, I have money that I didn't have before I went in there. No, you didn't go in there. 
and you didn't participate in what appeared to be the robbery that took place. But you are held equally equally responsible under man's law. It's something similar under the laws of life. There are some things I can come into agreement with, expressed or implied, that I'm held equally accountable for. A crude example I use, and is, is one that people don't like to receive too well, have you seen people with wheelchair um, and sickness on the automobiles to park in the wheel, wheelchair zone? I'm sure you've seen that. And yes, I have. there are some people who are not disabled, and they're parking in those spots. And now they got a counterfeit sticker to put on that car. What am I doing? In the spirit realm, have I come into agreement with bringing a handicap on myself, although I am not handicapped? I've come into agreement with being handicapped. That is something in the spirit realm that we may be opening the door to based upon just a simple activity that we may be involved in. Everything we do and say, we either express or implied agreement as it relates to that situation. So the law of agreement is very, very important. And to recognize those things we have consciously and unconsciously come into agreement. Wow. I soaked up so much knowledge today. Um, I really enjoyed this call with you. Um, only have one question before we close out. And yes. I do know that all laws, you know, they go hand in hand. But if you could just pick one, if there was only one law, what would it be for you? Well, this is, we have to understand that all these other laws, if we have not done what we need to do under this law that I'm about to mention, I have referenced before, and I reference again, is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There are only two camps camps walking this earth today, those who are under the law of sin and death and those who are walking under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I understand there were 7 billion people on planet earth as of now, and each of those individuals, they're under one of those two camps. And if a person has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are under the law of sin and death, and if they pass away before having received him as Savior and Lord, they will find themselves in eternity under the law of sin and death. But those of us who have come under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, we're not only under that law now and enjoying the benefits of being under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, but we will have those benefits throughout eternity, which is most, most important. I totally agree. I really appreciate you for coming on today. Um, I'm loving this so much. I will be on the call tomorrow as well. Um, Don't forget you're supposed to be with us tomorrow, 6 p.m. Central Time, you know, 7 Eastern Standard Time. 7 Eastern, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So um, do you have any words before we close out? Well, I just appreciate the opportunity. I'm just hopeful that whomever may have listened in today or have an opportunity to 
listen to what we share today at some later time, that they'll come to understand that everything that we do and everything we say, we activate in one or more laws of life, either in a positive or in a negative way. These laws of life are so very important for individuals to understand. And the reason that we endeavor to share these laws of life is because people are looking for justice in all the wrong places. And I'm sure you heard on many occasions people who have had someone hurt by another individual and they're going to man's court and they're expecting to get what they consider to be justice for that other person. Well, true and absolute and perfect justice doesn't come from man's courts. True, absolute, and perfect justice comes from one source, and that one source alone is Father God. And that's the person who can bring about perfect justice in any situation that we're dealing with. And what we're endeavoring to do is to cause people to understand that we are operating under one of these laws, one or more of these laws of life on a consistent basis. And it's important for us to learn to operate on the positive side of these laws of life. And the only way we can do that is to have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and to trust him to cause us by and through his grace to operate on the positive side of these laws of life. It means the difference between life and death. Yes, sir. Well, I thank you so much, Mr. Mosley, for being with us today. And thank you to everyone that is listening. Please don't forget to join us tomorrow at 6 p.m. Central Time and um, 7 Eastern Standard Time. Thank you again for listening, and thank you again for being a part of the show. Until next time, everyone, have a great day. Thank you, Melissa.